0: Sunday is not only the most important day of the Christian year, but also the first Sunday of a series of eight Sundays that ends with Pentecost. During these eight weeks, we celebrate the victories the risen Christ won for us. These victories are Easter gifts given to bring about the growth of a new people, gifts that continue to make us new today. So with shouts and songs of Alleluia, we celebrate the gifts of the risen Christ and present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. The second reading from the revelation of Jesus through the Apostle John in chapter 21. It is the basis for the sermon today. The twelve gates of the heavenly city were twelve Pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The word of the Lord.
1: Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Tunnels are kind of a polarizing topic, would you agree? Maybe you've never thought about it in those terms, but I think It's fair to say you kind of fall on one side of that argument, right? One side or the other. Either you love tunnels or or you hate them. I I suppose there might be a few tunnel uh, fence sitters among us today, but I think largely either you like them or you don't. If you're a person who doesn't like confined spaces, you probably don't like tunnels. Tunnels. You're probably the type of person that will go the next exit up on the highway uh, to avoid having to go through a tunnel. Or if there's no other options, if there's no other recourse, you might be the kind of person who will go through the tunnel reluctantly, but you've got your hand there on the door so that when the wall collapses, you're at least ready for it and you're braced to catch it. Or maybe you're on the opposite side of the spectrum. Maybe you love tunnels. You're the type of person that lays on the horn all the way through so you can hear it echo. Or or if you're riding a bike, you'll make sure to to say something, echo, echo, echo. You love tunnels. You're the kind of person that likes it when things are, are different and unique. And there's roads all over the place that don't have roofs, but the few roads that do are, are kind of cool, right? Tunnels are, are are kind of cool if you're that kind of person. Has it ever struck you that life is kind of like a tunnel? There's only one way in and there's only one way out. Sometimes it can be a little dark on the inside. Sometimes you might be the person who isn't so concerned about what's going on at the end of the tunnel. You're probably... At the first part of the tunnel, and so, in ignorance, you kind of say we'll worry about getting out of the tunnel later or or, or maybe you're on the other side of the tunnel, and you 're just waiting and hoping and longing and praying that that light shows up because, come, Lord Jesus, Jesus, take me home you 're just waiting, wondering why it is that god 's planned for you to be in this tunnel for so long. Tunnels can be dark, and if they 're not lit properly, it can be a little scary and Sometimes it might feel like everything is just moments away from collapsing in on top of you. Have you ever felt that way about life? Do you feel that way today? Life can be dark and scary and sometimes it feels as if everything's about to collapse like you're one false move away from the end of everything And I know that's kind of a bleak outlook on life. But before you say, oh boy, we've got a pessimist for a new pastor, remember that I'm in good company because Jesus in the Gospel says pretty much the same thing. He says, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. He doesn't say maybe. He doesn't say probably. He says doesn't say almost for sure. He says you will. You will grieve. In this world there will be sorrow. He says it pretty clearly a a little later. Now is your time of grief. Jesus knows a thing or two about grief because he's been there. Jesus knows what it's like to stand at the graveside of a loved one called home. Too soon because he's been there. He was there with Lazarus, with Mary and Martha at the gravesite of Lazarus. He knows that pain that you probably know because he's been there. Jesus was in those grief-filled shoes of your brothers and sisters yesterday. About two hours north of here, they gathered together around Casket. Casket of uh, a man who went home to heaven too soon. 41 years old. Had accomplished a lot. Had done some great things for the Lord. Had so much more yet to accomplish. A Wells teacher, a principal. Dedicated his life to teaching the boys and girls about Jesus. But Jesus had different plans. Better plans for him. On one of the last days of school, he went out for a run. Came back. And minutes later collapsed, had a massive heart attack, and died. His funeral was yesterday. There was grieving. But Jesus wept too. Jesus knows a thing or two about grief because he's been there. He's stood in those shoes. He stood in your shoes. So you name it. What's your grief? What are the things that are are causing sorrow in your life today? Jesus has been there. He knows the searing pain of rejection. He knows what it's like to feel like you're all alone. He knows what it's like to show love to someone and then not have that love return. Jesus knows because He's been there. Jesus knows a thing or two about grief. On Friday, I spoke to a woman whose heart was heavy. Heavy with grief over the fact that her adult son had turned his back on Jesus. She was pretty convinced that there was no faith in his heart anymore and she was hoping that maybe someone could reach out, maybe someone could say something that might shake him from unbelief. She was frustrated that there was nothing she could do except for preach and pray and pray and preach and then leave it in the Lord's hands. She knew grief for sure. We've been talking about grief today and how, at least for this part of the sermon, we've been looking at how grief impacts the lives of the people around us. And yes, we're connected to them and so we grieve With them, but we haven't really gotten to real personal grief. We haven't really gotten to how grief can impact our lives. We haven't gotten to sin and its ugly impact for each and every one of us. We live in a sin darkened world, but the sad reality is our being in it doesn't make it any brighter. We just end up another statistic, another person who can't live up to the standard of perfection that God has set, another soul that can't save itself. The world is dark and we are dark with the world. And then we hear Jesus. Jesus presents this glorious picture of heaven, this glorious picture of this glorious place. And almost like he's dangling a a carrot In front of us, he says, Oh, by the way, nothing impure will ever enter heaven, nor will anyone who is shameful or deceitful. If you want to make death seem small, if you want to make loneliness seem insignificant, put it on the backdrop of what happens to us because of our sin. Put it on the backdrop of the fact that our eternity is impacted by our inability to please God. You want to know grief? Let's talk about that. God gives us his law and we fail every day. God tells us what his standards are and we fall short every day. God says, here's the way you get to heaven, and then we can't do it. And we don't do it. And then he says, nothing impure. No one who is shameful or deceitful. Will enter my glory. That's grief. That's grief as we consider that reality, as we consider that we can't do anything to fix our woeful state. But Jesus, in our gospel lesson, tells us that he's turning grief into joy. We know full well our condition and we know full well our our lack of ability to do anything about it. But so does Jesus. Jesus knows our woeful condition and he knows our inability to do anything about it, but he certainly knows that he is the one who has the power over sin. And so the one who can do something does. Jesus turns our grief into joy. He turns our grief into joy by carrying our griefs for us. He took the burden that your sin and that my sin deserved and He carried it to the cross. He saw the debt that your sins earned and that my sins earned and He was willing to pay it by offering His hand to Pilate's nails, by willingly being crucified so that we could be forgiven. He embraced the grief of death so that we could have the joy of life. John tells us who it is that gets to go to heaven. He says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're saved not because of our own actions, but because of the actions of another. We're saved not because we have been obedient, but because Jesus was obedient For us, we're saved not because we've curried God's favor, we're saved because the Lamb loved us and saw fit to write our names in His book. And when the Lamb writes your name in His book, that means something. And when the Lamb writes your name in His book, that means everything. Because no one can take that away. He won't change his mind. No one can come and erase it. There's no book that has superiority that can negate what the Lamb's book says. The Lamb reigns and so the Lamb's book reigns. Nothing can take your heaven from you. It's an existence that we can hardly fathom. Life without pain, without tears, without a body that is Aging daily we can hardly understand we can hardly wrap our brains around the glorious existence that is yours and that is mine in Christ Jesus we can hardly wrap our brains around the joy that is in store for us because our names are written in the Lamb's book life here's the way that John says it earlier in this very same chapter He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm making things new, the Lamb says. You have an address on a street that is paved in gold. You have a room in the mansion of heaven. You have a place at God's side and a dwelling with him in glory everlasting. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. John tells us one more thing that won't be there in heaven. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Really? The best place imaginable. The best place, the most perfect of perfect places, and there's no church there. Really. This place where we enjoy a renewed and refreshed and restored relationship with God. This place where God comes to us and and we come to God. This place where we rejoice in the family of believers that he has gathered together, that he has made us to be brothers and sisters with those who share the pew with us. That place, this little taste of of heaven on earth, and now we get to real heaven and we won't have this taste at all? There's no temple in heaven because heaven is a temple. The whole place is the place where we dwell with God. The whole place is the place where we enjoy the family of believers that He's made us to be. The whole place is the place where we will spend endless days singing the praises of the Lamb who has made us a church triumphant. We need no church. There doesn't need to be a special place where we meet with God because that's what heaven is. We need not gather to confess our sins and receive His forgiveness because that's us stuck in the old way. That's our brains not being able to catch up with what John shares with us here. Those are a part of the old way and the new way is this. Perfect bodies... Perfect existence, perfect harmony with God, a perfect family of believers in the perfect of perfect places. That's your future. And that's mine because of Jesus. Heaven is the end of darkness and the end of the dark things that sin has done to us and in our world. Heaven is the place where there will be only glorious light. Jesus is the light Of the world. That's why John says the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light. And the Lamb is its lamp. (coughs) Today, our God fills us with hope. Though the tunnel of life might be dark and curvy, it might seem hopeless at times, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a light at the end of the tunnel that reminds us that it's not about the tunnel. Even if you're a tunnel person, it's not about the tunnel. Even if you are a person who is high on life, it's not about this life. It's about life everlasting with Jesus. And the light at the end of the tunnel reminds us that heaven is the light at the end of the tunnel. Heaven is the light at the end of our lives. Heaven is the hope of each and every Christian. Jesus is the light heaven. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's not a light switch. Not a light switch that, that he turns on when it's time to be Jesus, when it's time to be bright, when it's time to shine in glory. And then like you do with your lights at home to save a few bucks, you turn them off when you leave the room. That's not Jesus. Jesus is light. He's light no matter what. He's light all the time. He always shines and so... When we gather in this place and hear his words, he shines. (coughs) When we receive body and blood in with and under bread and wine for the forgiveness of our sins, Jesus and his glory and his forgiving love shine. And you know where else Jesus shines? In you. Jesus shines wherever He dwells. And so when He dwells in you, that means that He shines in you and that means that you shine with Him. No coincidence that Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world, He also said of believers, He said, you are the light of the world. We shine because Jesus dwells within us. We shine because the light cannot be snuffed out. It can't be dimmed. It can't be turned off. It shines. He shines. You shine. Why are you here? (coughs) I don't mean Grace Lutheran Church and I don't mean late service. I mean, why why are you here? Why are you Christian? There's probably as many different stories as there are different people here, but I'm going to summarize all of them for you right now. This is the summary of your story. Someone shone into your life the light of Christ. Whether it was a mother who raised you from little on to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, or it was a friend who got past sports and the weather and talked with you about something important, the light of Christ shone on you. Maybe it was a pastor who knocked on your door, or the faithful witness of a Christian who wanted you to see what they saw, who wanted you to know what they knew, they shone the light of Christ and here you are. Here you are with Christ shining in you. That's how Jesus works. That's how the light spreads. Life can be a dark and a scary place, a tunnel that sometimes it's hard to see the end. If that's true for you, that's true even more so for those in your life who don't know Jesus. That's true even more so for those that you know that don't know Jesus as the light of the world. Think of what you can be for them. Think of what you can do for them. You can be the one that shines the light of Christ. You can be the one that makes their dark life bright. You can help them to see that at the end of this tunnel called life, there's a light and that light is Jesus and He is the hope of the nations and He is the glory of mankind. You can help those in a dark world and in a dark place to see that there is hope in Jesus, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Look for opportunities. Spend your life finding opportunities to shine the light of Jesus' love. And you'll find joy in the process, I guarantee it. Never forget to recharge. Bask in the light of the sun. Revel and be warmed in the glory uh, of his love. Remind yourself, especially when life is dark, especially when grief and sorrow and pain rear their ugly heads in your lives, remember that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Live your life to to God's glory and filled with faith in Him and then you will, like the hymnist said always, every day be a day's march nearer home. A day's march nearer to everlasting light. Amen.
0: for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you.